this week on the Revenge of the, um, as you say, 80s Kids. But for now, I think it's time for us all uh, to go and have a little bit of a rest and a reflect. So, uh... I think um, the score is quite good. This is like serious stuff. This, um... You know, we're back in the sweet shop to a certain degree. I love it. I um, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot, and I like um, I. And there is silence throughout the auditorium. No, no, I was expecting. I was entirely expecting this. For me, yes, I was yes. as well, actually. Yes. A little bereft, but too much time to loll and think. On the long march towards global enlightenment. The thing is, though, to me, you say that, but to me, what it did was produce a lot of people who kind of went, "Oh, now I'm going to go be a hippie." Yes, I am sick of that kind of like. Aren't we beautiful and pretty and, you know, they're really nasty. <laughs> they are really ugly creatures and I... Okay. <laughs> uh, and so the next person whose life we'll be examining in excruciating detail is Ian. Oh, is it me again? <laughs> indeed, indeed. Things start coming back into focus a bit more. Waking up and realising that reality is far more complex. Having that kind of weirdness of realities and things didn't really blow my head. A chosen few have been given that insight that, you know, nothing is true. I fear I may upset somebody again. In many ways, society is kind of a shared delusion. Kind of rather strange and, and enticing fairy tale. Uh, There's even, like, regression to childhood here as a way of escape going on, I think, <laughs> too. Now, you know, I would struggle to be able to remember everything. We have entered a period of time which hasn't kind of finished yet. I kind of watched it and went, yeah, I get that, all right, fine, next. What was really weird about uh, the 90s is that it was ten years, so the reveal of that was so shocking to me that I was, like, reeling from it. Um, A couple of points that that have arisen from all of this. One is that um, we're never going to get into a special room where somebody tells us you know, the truth. And that the true reality is something completely different and beyond your current ability to even conceive of. We are, in fact, humans, are all godlike entities, but we've been portrayed by one of our own called the Demiurge. He's like Michael Bay, but likes working with actors. And it's really weird, like the people in the bathtub and the people eating dinner watching him, and yes. that is really fascinating as well. It's like that idea of watching people watching somebody. Um, and now there is only one uh, gigantic fake reality-shaped elephant left in the room but it's weird but i don't care it's got some brilliant visual effects okay that's it nobody touch it nobody breathe on it nobody go near it (laughs) it's just there that's what it is i'm a spiritualist darling you can see how that's transformed her physically and mentally so it is quite amazing we lived through that people for the most part it's like oh my god there's a shape-changing killer robot after me i better get my crap together we're moving towards the new millennium and such thoughts turn to, you know, the nature of things and our mortality and... The grim dark. Uh, but I've got... You can check out images that I've done uh, of, a, of a lighter tone, I feel, generally, um, at my DeviantArt page. So that's justinwyatt.deviantart.com. Revenge of the 80s Kids is rated P for Please Don't Do Drugs, Not Big not clever
Lady and gentlemen, we have a problem. It is unfortunately the exact same problem we had last week. Uh, this is an effort of recycling in order to help reduce our carbon footprint. Uh, the problem, of course, is naming our top five films from the 90s. But it is, of course, a personal list. Uh, so we don't know what each other's picked. So as we descend down through our top fives, there's a chance of a crossover, which will lead to social awkwardness, embarrassment, and the sudden appearance of this noise. Now, of course, this is part two. So in the previous episodes, we did uh, our top five, four and three. Today, we're doing our top two and number one. Uh, so in order to help the listeners at home catch up with everything that's occurred so far, there is going to be a small uh, spoiler filled tape uh, relaying all those events now. Previously on Revenge of the 80s Kids, their top films of the 90s, their fifth favourite films... Here's, of course, Wallace and Gromit's A Close Shave. Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead. But what I have gone for is Beauty and the Beast. So it's two one Food with Love, Julie Newmar. Yeah. Their fourth favourite films... But I have chosen Dark City. Toy Story. That is my number three. John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. Pulp Fiction. Their third favourite films. Fight Club. The Crow. It has to be. This is my number two. Toy Story. The Fifth Elements. And now, the thrilling conclusion. Well, that's brought everyone up to speed. So uh, here we are, the top two and one positions. Uh, now, to just add one more frisson of excitement to proceedings, uh, Leo has a randomizer machine which determines the order in which people go just to make this doubly exciting. So uh, Mr. Stableford has the randomizer machine selected its first victim for tonight's episode. So this is the penultimate round, our second favourite films of the 90s. And uh, the randomizer has determined that the first to go with their second favourite film of the 90s will be Sue. I fear I may upset somebody again. Right. In case I don't see you. (laughs) Ah, right, yes. Okay. Good morning. Uh, Good afternoon. Good Good evening. Good evening. I, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any awkwardness noises going off. No, 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 no. Noises. it's the Truman Show. Yes, good choice. I, I think it's absolutely perfect Jim Carrey film. I think it absolutely showed his emotionality perfectly. I think it's a brilliant idea, especially in the age of things like Big Brother and all those kind of things where we're reality show crazy and, you know, real housewives of this. And we're absolutely obsessed with putting people under a microscope. And I think this is the ultimate putting somebody under a microscope and what would happen in that kind of idea. Absolutely visually well done, brilliantly played out. I just love it. I love every bit of the emotionality of that film. I love every part of it. And I can't step away from it. Every time I have to think about all films that I love, it's just up there. It's always been up there and it always will be up there. I saw it in the cinema and I never not loved it from that moment of seeing it on the big screen. And I've always watched it again and again and again and again. And we own a copy on DVD and I still watch it. 
it's one of those films that will stay with me. I think its message is brilliant, and I think I think it's just a great film. Sorry. Love it. Can't help it. I'll let somebody else talk about why it's brilliant. But it's brilliant. Why, there's no need to apologise. I mean, <laughs> um, it was very nearly in my list. It just didn't fit my criteria of how I, I'm choosing these things. Yeah. I was quite blown away by it, really. I mean, one, I mean, not, just in Kerry's performance really was very surprising, you know, and I kind of knew he could do other things other than that kind of wild, zany, crazy guy, but he plays it pitch perfect, that that role. It just says so much, and it still continues to say so much about media attention and the Big Brother, the 24 kind of hours a day kind of thing, but does it in this beautiful package that just shows you, you know, the logical extension of that, of that kind of society, our society. And that is kind of believable because of that and quite chilling because of that as well. I think it's a fascinating film. I think it's the pacing is brilliant. The ending is great. Yeah, I think it's a very worthy, worthy place here. Uh, it's a very good choice. I think um, the score is quite good. I've, I've only really seen this film once. It has such a good memory in me. It was one of the list on my, because basically my approach was just to go through the years again, make a list of films that I just liked. And then you just sort of cross them off, and it's like, well, I saw it. I saw it once, maybe twice, uh, and they never sorted out on DVD. So I felt I would be phony to say this should be on my list. But it was definitely one of the ones that I think is one of the good guys of the nineties. Definitely worthwhile. Jim Carrey can act. Who knew? Uh, so this is brilliant, and the score is very good. There's a scene that's one of the little little scenes, moments really, than the scene is where he's crossing the road absentmindedly, and then the bus bus stops abruptly in front of him, and then. He looks at the bus and, and he just raises his hand and the score kicks in. And it was a little moment that stuck in my head from the film. You know, he's coming to believe that his world is not real. And if you watch it without that soundtrack, he's just a bemused guy on the road. But I think the track really sells it. That he's, he's asserting agency over his world and his life for the first time in attempting to get off the rails he's normally in. It is a very good film with a very clever concept that's properly explored, and I always enjoy those things. Yes, it's it's pretty darn good. But I, Justin previously said he was annoyed at a friend who wanted to know what happened when he went out and there in the real world, and he was frustrated it stopped as soon as he left the dome. I kind of yeah. echo that though. I want to know what happens next. I want to know, you know. Stop it, Ian. <laughs> I, I, I know. I know the point is it stops there, but at the same time, you're so interested and so invested in this character, you kind of want to know what happens next. In a funny, Miss Freedom. <laughs> you get, you, you I get, think the whole idea is that you kind of hope that he lives happily ever after now, from then on in. Yes, but, but he's so famous, it's like, oh wow! But want a follow-up film to find out what happened to him. Yeah, like what happened to Truman? Yeah, it it does kind of need a follow-up film, but it's weird, but. I think the other thing I love about it is all that how famous he is and all the other people, because you get to see him, but you also get to see all the people cheering him on. And it's really weird, like the people in the bathtub and the people eating dinner watching him. And yes. that is really fascinating as well. It's like that idea of watching people watching somebody. That's really kind of fascinating. So It's yeah. only become more true, isn't it? Because really, I mean, if, if anything, we're more like that now. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's worse. <laughs> it's crass. We've got naked dating and rubbish like this these days ah yes but as as the man so adroitly said reality television gives reality a bad name so uh yeah so anyway it's it yeah it's very rare that uh satire is um effortless 
and also somewhat heartwarming. Uh, very difficult, very difficult to pull that off. And so I think one of the reasons possibly why uh, the Truman Show kind of sort of gets to its conclusion and then hands off, walks away, apart from the sort of deeper meaning of that conclusion, it's like someone spent a long time balancing something on top of something else and then moving their hands very slowly away and then going, okay, that's it, nobody touch it, nobody breathe on it, nobody go near it. It's just there. That's what it is. Uh, you know, taking a long time to set up a photograph or something like that. And it just comes off and it's like, and there it is. And it's perfect. I think there is definitely an element where the 90s as a whole allowed people to pull that off. I think a lot of the things that people have chosen and indeed the, the films that are in the list are examples of people just putting something together and it being what it is and then just hands off sloping away a bit, you know, walking back to get I think away. the other thing I've got to mention about this film is everybody goes on about Jim Carrey's performance, but there's another actor in there that deserves a massive round of applause for his brilliance in that film. And that is anybody? Uh is it the guy who runs the T V show? It's Ed Harris. Yes, Ed, Ed Harris's performance is bizarre. It's Chris him playing Christoph is absolutely amazing because at the same time as it being kind of chilling it's and cold it's very it's very deeply warm and heartwarming because he genuinely loves Truman but at the same time it's this like almost like a scientist studying an insect and it's it's really odd but it's really brilliant yeah, and it it's goes like, off at a number of different levels yeah it's brilliant and it's genius and the more you watch that performance as well the br- more brilliant it is so i think that was an underrated performance as well so yeah brilliant brilliantly performed brilliant film sorry love it always going to love it no apology needed no. No apology needed, that's it. No, that's I'm just going to keep saying sorry next, because uh, I am never going to stop loving that film. Uh, um, I, I don't know, care. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's kicked off the show uh, in, in uh, fantastic style. Uh, and so the next person whose life we'll be examining in excruciating detail is Ian with his second favourite uh, film of the 90s. Uh, highly appropriate. Your randomizer has made an excellent choice. I'm going to go for one of the more obvious 90s films here, I'm afraid, ladies and gentlemen. In some ways, it's prosaic, but I'd like to draw a broader theme. I'm, of course, going to choose, and I brace myself here, The Matrix. Embarrassing noise! Embarrassing noise! That's my number one! It's your number one, right, okay. Seeing as it is not just one person's number one, but two people's number one, could we shift our discussion forward in the show a little? Seeing as you that you may necessarily truncate to the show if if to so half I of the time number one. So I think we should just have a massive conversation about the, the Matrix, Matrix later at the on. End. Yes. Okay. So there we yeah, go. Yeah. There you go. One of many because we the Matrix. But, is but a I, I would just like to say I, I will just like to say at this point, however, because this is the appropriateness of coming after the Truman Show, is that we have a theme of reality being false and the world yeah. not being right with Dark City, with uh, what, Mind of Madness, Mouth of Madness. In the Mouth of Madness. Well, in the Mouth of Madness. Uh, now we have the Matrix, Truman Show. And it's like, yeah. uh, it's, how many of these films are about, you know, the world being a bit of a lie and deception placed over us? Well, you know, we're moving towards the new millennium and such thoughts turn to, you know, the nature of things and our mortality and 
I think that uh, I think we should. We, we obviously this is this discussion. We're going to postpone. We're going to have it, but we're going to postpone it. We can't do me because the crow already. I worked. nicked the crow. I'm so and sorry. That's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so uh, all we've got left in number twos now is Justin. What is your second favorite so, film of the nineties? Where you can guess what I'm going. This is a this is a uh, a a fairy tale film that features a mad scientist. Okay. <laughs> Is it a, is it a certain, is it of a culinary nature? The, the, uh, <laughs> the hands of the protagonist? <laughs> no, I was going to tell you because I, uh, that's what I was leading you down the garden path to, but in fact, it's not Edward's hands. It's in fact, uh, City of Lost Children. Oh, ah. I, was, I was waiting for Edward's hands as well. Yes, well, no, I, uh, now this is a, a French Spanish film. And um, if you're familiar with Delicatessen, was their previous kind of outing, um, and then in you know, in recent years, well, you've got Amelie and and um, Alien Four. But anyway, this to me surpasses all of this. City of Lost Children is, if you haven't seen it, is a beautiful kind of fairy tale that's about this kind of crazy scientist who captures children from the mainland because he can't dream, so he steals the dreams. From the children, it is kind of incredibly dark, and in fact, it opens with what is a dream sequence, but you don't realise it. It's a Christmas scene, and you've got a Father Christmas coming down the chimney, who kind of goes over to a child, and then another one, and then another one, and then another one, and it is one of the most creepiest Christmas images. Is like, take that, Tim Burton. This really does kind of make you kind of makes your flesh creep as the child screams in kind of terror as having all these yeah abundance of of santas um and it goes on this weird kind of collection of strange grotesque characters you've got you've got clones who fall asleep with narcolepsy you've got a strange collection of characters from a sideshow you've kind of got this uh a diminutive woman um a a strong man uh, as ron pearl man a guy with a flea circus, a pair of Siamese twins. And they all, this kind of weird concoction of strange characters, form this kind of rather strange and, and enticing fairy tale. There is weird kind of blind characters. There's a bit of steampunk going on in this film. It is odd, peculiar, kind of wondrous, visually just sumptuous. This is... I, saw, I remember seeing this going, oh, my God, I am completely bowled over. This is a beautiful film. It's actually also there's costume designs by John Paul Gautier in this as well. So it has a kind of a, you know, this is clearly not the real world. world. It's a, it's a kind of a strange, maybe 1930s, 1940s kind of French city. But, you know, it could be anywhere. It could be any place, really. It's, it's kind of timeless in that. There's a fantastic kind of sequence, as you'd expect from the director of... Uh, Delicatessen, directors of Delicatessen, you kind of, this is very strange sequence, a couple of them actually, which just, you kind of blow you away really, just their inventiveness. Uh, yeah, I highly recommend to anyone, you know, it's a French film, so, you know, you've got to do some reading, but it is beautiful, and probably, you know, I would say, this to me fills the void of the kind of Terry Gilliam at this stage in the 90s, the kind of the stuff that I was loving earlier on, it's incredibly quirky in that way, but it has a lot of heart and emotion and kind of wonderment to it. A kind of, yeah, beautiful film. I have seen this movie. I saw this movie. Uh, they made a big fuss about it after Delicatessen, and so it came out. Got a fairly decent uh, video release in the UK. 
I remember one of the problems that people had with it is that uh, story-wise it's a somewhat incoherent. Also, I am reassured uh, that Ron Perman's French accent is terrible, <laughs> which I can... He doesn't say much. He, I think he's about five words in it, so that's, you know... <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, something I, I would have to re rewatch actually, uh, in order to have much more of an opinion on. So I shall. Uh, I have actually it. never seen it, so I'd be interested to see it because it sounds to me something like very Alice in Wonderlandy, which I I like. And it's got so it's anything down that rabbit hole. I'm quite happy to give a try. One very much so. And the children, there's children in it, and they are great. There's a there's a girl in it who is playing this very strong, determined... He's, I mean, almost like a strong female lead, really, her performance. It's very adult. I mean, that's the point. These children kind of grow up in, in this horrible place and have got to be fairly adult to survive. Um, yeah, I think I, you've convinced me to go and watch it anyway. Yes. So there you go. Well, um, <laughs> Ian, have you anything to add? I encountered the film after watching Alien Resurrection because everyone was like, oh, you've got to see Cedar Children. That was actually a really good film by this director and, and Alien Resurrection is not. And I think it was on television, so I started watching it, but I think I was lost in the sort of incoherency of, of it all and found myself turning over and not going back to it. So uh, that was my, my one chance to grab it for free on television, slipping through my fingers. But yes, I'm, I'm sure it, it was artistically stunning. I've no doubt. I, I, I must say, it is nice that at this late stage in the game, someone can introduce us to a movie. I mean, in this, uh, you know, environment of, ah, old favourites, like, old oh, Truman Show, Fifth Element, The Crow, ah, oh, marvellous. Oh, yeah, I think that's marvellous. Yeah, I like going down the rabbit hole quite happily, so I will quite happily go and look this up now and see if I can find yeah, it. Yeah, so, awesome. Marvellous. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so, for that reason alone, an awesome choice. Yeah. And now we have only one round left to go, and half of it is... Half of it's been ruined. Half, well, not ruined. <laughs> it, it, is a, it is a known quantity, but to be honest, I think that anybody could have predicted that this movie would somehow creep in. And the fact that three of us have got it within the top two uh, is, is just, uh, uh, you know kind of uh, unsurprising to a certain degree. But there are uh, surprises to be had still. For yes. that means that we do not know what Ian's favourite film of the 90s is until now when we do. Oh, is it me again? It is. Yeah. <coughs> then, sirs, um, you may be wondering why The Matrix is not my number one. Uh, and it's it, it was kind of tough, but then again it wasn't. My criteria for picking these films was what had impact. What did I keep going back and watching again and again and again? And yes, the, the Matrix was sought out on DVD promptly and was bought and rewatched endlessly. And that, that was a that was a big film. I do love it and everything else about it. But for me, the nineties, the film I just kept putting on just because it was just such a high octane, fun action film that I just kept going back to, even if it was just to watch a particular action sequence, it is of course that director I'm always, always happy to compliment James Cameron, and it is his sequel to his 1984's Terminator in Terminator 2, Judgment Day. And there is silence throughout the auditorium. No, no, I was expecting, I was entirely expecting this. For me, yes. I yes. was as well, actually, yes. Yes, uh, this is my favourite film of the 90s. Simply because, I mean, it's it's a, it's a, it's a very well tight. I mean, I'm sure Sue finds it emotionally flat or something, but uh, for a teenage boy, actually, it, actually hmm? 
I actually don't mind Terminator 2. I think it's kind of a cool film. <laughs> I, think I can actually understand completely because I like Guns N' Roses and I love the rock soundtrack. I kind of understand all the boyishness of that film and I think it's awesome. The, yeah, yeah Glib, I mean, um, I, I honestly never found any film particularly annoying as a kid. I mean, there are a few instances where he's being a bit of an annoying Hollywood kid. Uh, but for the most part, it's like, oh my god, there's a shape-changing killer robot after me, I better get my crap together. Uh, and then things spiral quickly out of control. Uh, it's Schwarzenegger's best movie ever made. I mean, the Terminator was kind of an, a cool robot, well, it's kind of a decent monster, but here he becomes cool. The robot, as personified by Schwarzenegger, becomes a, a really cool icon in the way he wasn't in the first movie, bizarrely, even though that was the thing that launched him into fame in the first place. James Cameron is very good at his craft. He's not the world's greatest character, writer of characters or dialogue, but he, he's at least efficient. I mean, he, James Cameron has been described as he's like Michael Bay, but likes working with actors. And I think that's a very good dis- description of him. Um, technically brilliant, and I think it's, he knows his science fiction. This is actually quite a, a quite a decent science fiction sequel, and it, of course it enhances and improves on the original Terminator. It doesn't graffiti all over it. I mean, the only conceit you have to swallow is, oh yeah, there was another cyborg that got sent back in time as well, by the way. Once you get past that, I think it's, it's a beautifully organic sequel, and the way it loops back around and ties up all the loose ends that the first one had is utterly stunning. Uh, yes, it, it's 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 my favourite sequel to anything, and it, as as I saw, well, I was fourteen, I think was the first time I saw it, and it was just it was, it was I got it off television, I had the had the video cassette of it, it was just constantly being put back on again to watch bits and bits of it, and when the director's cut came out, it was it was the best director's cut I've ever seen in my life. All the things they took out kind of enhanced it. Like the, the brain chip removal scene. The fact that the T-1000 uh, is actually suffers some disorientation from being frozen and shattered. He's now copying everything he's touching. He's malfunctioning. That was kind of edited out of the, out of the theatrical release. So it is just a, a really awesome film that comes to a great climax. I love it. Um, hasta la vista. You guys go next. <laughs> Um, Yeah, I mean, it's nice to have one of the things that I I kind of have noted thus far is that we're end of the 90s heavy. There's not very much. I mean, this is a very early 90s. In fact, this is kind of a a movie that sums up the 80s that just happened to come out in the 90s. Uh, Whereas we have had a lot of, you know, reality isn't really real and all of this kind of stuff. This This is more your 80s style, high concept, time travel big, brash, you know, action-type experience. It struggles with uh, Aliens as being James Cameron's finest hour, but it's uh, certainly James Cameron's finest hour in the 90s. Titanic, what's that? And it is something, you know, the Terminator is is in that gallery. Uh, And a gallery, indeed, of things that we have that I don't think we've got an equivalent in the modern age. We have the Terminator... The alien, uh, xenomorph, the, the predator, we have these from the 80s, and they are like a gallery of classic monsters. Robocop is a, another one that, that, that came for it. And, and, yeah, well, I guess Pinhead, Pinhead kind of brings up, brings up the rear in that one. Oh, well, Freddy and Jason in yeah. that case. We have a whole gallery of these iconic figures from the 80s, and they, they keep coming back and coming back and coming back, just showing how fecund 
the 80s was as a, a test bed. And so this is sort of like the 90s love letter to its... It, it's pre, I mean, I probably didn't realise it at the time, but it was kind of a love letter to the thing that had just gone away. And from here on, things got a lot more rocky. So, yes, this was a, a great movie for that reason. Yeah, I think it was, it was definitely one of those films where you're watching and you go, things have changed now. Visually effects-wise, sure, you know, it was like, wow, we haven't seen like this before. Uh, but also just the fact that, you know, all, all my friends had watched, we'd all sat and watched Terminator together. So this was like, oh, wow, this is like a continuation, but and then some, you know, this is this is like serious stuff. This, um, I, It's great. I think it's a great film. It's uh, It doesn't go in my... Although, you know, just because, say, it's not meeting the criteria of, of what I'm looking for as what I consider that. Um, however, that does not diminish at all how much I enjoyed this and how many times I watched it with my friends. Um, it's 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 a great film. It's a great sequel because it really does add so much more to those characters. Um, and I particularly, Sarah Connor's path in this is brilliant. You know, the difference between her and this in the first film, yeah, you could yeah. really see how the plot, how the things that have happened to her have shaped her because she's a entire, you know, the first film, she's, you know, a damsel in distress. She's and a bit you, wet in the first film. She is, she is, she's completely. You know, but that's very much a, you know, early 80s kind of, you know, here's the tough guy and she's the girl screaming. You know, she is formidable. She is, you know, absolutely like you can believe everything that's all the things she's seen. You know, the fact that she's got all this hanging over about what's going to happen in the future. You can see how that's transformed her physically and mentally. So it is quite amazing and actually quite refreshing in order to see that character so strong. Yeah. The fact that this, what she's up against is insane, you know, to deal with. The fact that she kicks ass with that is, you know, amazing. So one of several reasons it's a great film. So yeah, it's it's no great, great, great choice. Yeah. As a woman, again, I have to I have to agree with that. Um, Linda Hamilton's performance was absolutely amazing as that as because in the first one she was very wet. In the in the second one she is hard hard as nails, and you can understand why she's like that, why she's so cold, and why she's so tough, and why she's so hardcore. And it's like you can see every ounce of it in her, and it's like oh. She, amazing performance from Linda Hamilton on that one. Yeah, it's a very boyish film, but it's so cool. Even I have to go, yeah, hats off to it. It's got a great soundtrack. It's so cool. I don't care. It's got some brilliant visual effects. I mean, the whole, you know, don't kill people. Okay, I'll shoot all the legs out. You know, so he shoots all the police officers' legs out at the, that, in that building at the end where, you know, he's got like 50 police officers all limping around on the, you know, and he's gone, no, I haven't killed anybody. It's fine. You know, it's like that kind of thing where he's, you know, teaching a machine to have some humanity almost. That's kind well, of interesting as well. Great, it's great interjecting into, you know, this yeah. serious action film, just yeah. that really, is, is, is definitely you know worth a ticket it's 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 brilliant it's the the other terminator being so cold and you know being this that you know not so machine like being almost like a metal that melts it's yeah it's brilliant absolutely brilliant film so yeah i agree with that one ian i think i think you've good choice 
Uh, yeah, and uh, of course, uh, there is only one unknown left in the entire list now. It possibly is. Uh, the folks at home may not uh, peg this at all. Uh, Sue, what is your favourite film of the 90s? I doubt it's that unknown, considering everybody on the planet knows A, I love vampires, and B, I love Marvel. So I'll give you three guesses, people. It begins with a B, <laughs> there's an A in it. <laughs> I think Blade is amazing um, I've always loved Blade um, even back in the comics I, I'm i a Spider-Man fan full stop end of story but I'm a Blade fan I've been a Blade the whole Morbius Blade Spider-Man thing was what really got me into Marvel and I really love those storylines and I love Blade from those storylines um, I know other people prefer him from other storylines but those are the storylines I like is Blade, Morbius, Spider-Man um, so that's got me into Spider-Man, that got me into those things and I think these films kind of helped Marvel Studio become what they are now, so I think they're vastly important for that but also I love vampires being proper vampires. I can't stand all this sparkly twilighty stuff. I like You'll proper vampires. You'll find a few sympathisers like, here for that. Yeah, I also like proper action films. If you're going to have some action, have some proper kick-ass action. And Wesley Snipes is a proper kick-ass action hero. I'm sorry, he is. Blade is proper kick-ass. But the emotionality of that film as well is also great because Blade being the day walker who, who you know has this kind of internal thing of having this thing between being, you know, human and not being human and also having his human counterpart that he's friends with and carried on his friendship with who, you know, it's it's all very deep in a lot of ways between him wanting to be one thing but actually fighting the other thing that's inside of him, of this vampireness that's inside of him. And then with his mother being turned in the end, and oh, it's all I, the emotionality of it was brilliant for me as well. So it hit every note for me because it had action, it had vampires, which I love. It had Marvel Studios, great, wonderful. It it was like everything. It has a good soundtrack again. I love Blade soundtracks, but Blade Two soundtracks even better. It was marvellous. I loved it. It was like me in heaven. It was everything I wanted in a film, packed in a little tight packet. So I was I was in seventh heaven when Blade came out. And I still love this film. I love all three of them. And I know people don't like the third one, but I love all three of them. I think they're all brilliant and I will always love all three of them. Yeah, uh, great film. I, um, yeah. I, I I enjoyed it a lot. And I like it. Um, I particularly liked the vampires in that because that is it is is Blade one the one where you've got that huge vampire who's like almost immobile. Is that the one? Maybe, yes. maybe yeah yeah. I mean it's just a fantastic kind of depiction. I absolutely yes. I am sick of that kind of like aren't we beautiful and pretty and you know they're really nasty. Probably <laughs> they're really ugly creatures and I, I I think it's great I think it's great fun I think we're just, we're just yeah like, he tortures him with the light sensor if you remember and he's yeah it's quite nasty uh, um, yeah. and actually I, I do enjoy the second one as well uh, where they're kind of really horrible in that almost alien like so yeah I think it's a I think it's a fun franchise and um, I think he's uh, he does a very good job that character as some you know I'm not really familiar with the comics 
I mean, it has that kind of superhero feel in that he's got his lair and he's got, you know, he's got his sidekick, I don't know, henchman or whatever. It has that kind of vibe, but it's not a, a much more kind of kick-ass uh, vampire story than, you know, might have seen before. So it's definitely got that kind of Marvel quality to it. Uh, but yeah, you know, a great, great, great film. Films. What's very fascinating about Blade is that, uh, well, first of all, it, it is quite a departure from Blade in the, in the comics. Mm, I mean, after thereafter, Blade is far more like Blade in the movie. Yeah. But up until that point, uh, he was far more seat of the pants and not yeah. quite as together as yeah. Wesley Snipes made him. Uh, it was kind of like this rear guard action because, of course, he came from a comic called Tomb of Dracula in which Dracula was the star even though he was the yeah. villain. Uh, but it's it's very interesting that uh, Blade could only really have been made at that time because thereafter, although there were superhero movies and the great age of superhero movies came at a pace... We have entered a period of time which hasn't kind of finished yet where people are absolutely obsessed with origin stories. And Blade is a superhero with no origin. I mean, he has an origin, but they never kind of do. And here's Blade's origin story where he learns to be Blade. They kind of go, you know. Yeah, they do it as flashbacks. They do it as flashbacks. But it's interesting because, as you said, Blade became more the way he was as is with that whole Morbius Spider-Man thing which they couldn't do because Spider-Man was Spider-Man yeah. Blade is Blade and and at that time it was it, Spider-Man wasn't I think Spider-Man wasn't being done yet and it was all a bit weird and, but I think I think we have yeah. to we have to conclude that um, you know modern uh, superhero movies could stand to learn a lot from Blade. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, what's amazing is we live in a day and age now where studios have stopped saying, we need to do an origin story because otherwise the, the broader audience won't get it. It's uh, We live in a world in which the broader or- audience are quite well aware of how a superhero comes to be a superhero and doesn't need to be spoon-fed an origin for every superhero. Well, Guardians of the Galaxy, they didn't spoon-feed We're an exactly. origin story, and we still all love it. Big, so. The biggest film of the year uh, in the American box office is a superhero movie that, one, didn't have what you might consider superheroes in it, and two, didn't do origin stories of you know any particular length for any of those superheroes, but left a lot to the imagination. Indeed, this is a trend that is to continue, that people are now trusted to go, yeah, there's this hero. Don't worry about where he came from. We'll bring it up if it's necessary. And that is an amazing thing. Um, and it was, yeah, I mean, it basically, Blade is a, a, a pre-note of what is about to happen, which meant that at the time it was enormously fresh. And I think people kind of didn't, almost a lot of people didn't see it for what it was. And it has, in retrospect, become this great action movie standard that is in the pantheon of great action movies. It's kind of weird to think, as we are of advanced years, of a movie that came out in 1998 as being up there with things like Alien Terminator and Predator and things like that. But I think Blade actually takes really that does, stand yeah. in really that, does, you know, yeah. if you've got action movies people have to see, it's in there. Ian? Uh, yes. Um, Blade. You know, I've only seen it at the cinema. I don't think I ever rewatched it after that. and There's no slight against it. Highly enjoyable vampire movie. 
it's always nice to have vampires taken seriously. Well, they usually are, aren't they? They're usually quite a, quite a dour kind of a thing. Yes, highly memorable. And, uh, it, I think in many ways, Blade, yeah, Blade, Blade was always, it was never sold as a comic book thing. It was always a kind of, kind of as a, sold as a, as a film franchise. I saw the first two in the cinema. I did not see the third one until it came out on video. I have to say, I was slightly disappointed with the third one. But the first two, I think, are definitely very good, solid action films. Tremendously enjoyable, great casting all round. Yeah. It, it, should, it should be pointed out that by the, t- the end of the third one, the Everyone director, hit- <laughs> writer, and Wesley Snipes were only communicating uh, via post-it notes. Um, oh, yeah. And they also, the two male leads weren't speaking to each other. Yeah, so, well. you know... Yeah. It was a troubled yeah. film, that Yes, uh, in fact, those two will never work. Ryan Reynolds and Wesley Snipes have refused to ever work together again. So there you go. <laughs> there we go. So, uh, interesting Blade <laughs> trivia there. Um, and now there is only one uh, gigantic fake reality-shaped elephant left in the room. Yes. Uh, before we begin this discussion, uh, I, one thing that has come through, and people did, so we did you know, echo this earlier, that there's a lot of preoccupation in the late late 90s with reality being a sham and constructed realities and all of these things that we kind of poke about from different angles and reflect in art in different ways and uh, although the matrix is one of the greatest uh, science fiction movies ever made it is also so prescient about the world and a sort of awakening and the awakening is you know in the 90s you know, in 1980, between 1989 and 1999, we went from news bulletins to 24-hour news cycles. Uh, the internet was born. Uh, basically, the human race, uh, like Neo, uh, received an enormous upgrade in its ability to access and process all sorts of different types of information. And all of these movies, The Truman Show, Dark City, The Matrix, blah, 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 are all about, I think, humanity or the Western society waking up and realising that reality is far more complex than what anybody has ever thought it was prior to that period. We lived through that, people. We lived through a society that suddenly realised that whatever you thought your position on a particular topic was, the topic itself, you know, the very notion of the truth really got a battering in the night. Can we ever really know the truth? Uh, Well, yes, of course, Fight Club again brings this subject up again. And and the, the fact of the matter is that you know, like darker. people Light have, yeah, yeah, people have considered, going. people have considered this idea, you know, since Rene Descartes in in, in the 17th century, uh, a, a chosen few have been given that insight that you know nothing is true, really. I mean, there is no definitive truth. We can't find a truth. There isn't. We're never going to get into a special room where somebody tells us, you know, the truth. Um, but in the 17th century, Descartes knew it and was a world-famous philosopher for that insight, and people found it very hard to wrap their head around it. And by 1999, people who went to the multiplex, they'd all become acquainted with this idea that reality, the, the real reality of human history and, and everything is an immensely scary thing that can never be pinned down or known definitively. And one of the hallmarks of the following era, the 2000s, is radicals 
trying to hold on to him. It's this desperate clawing. No, this is the way things are. And he's like, well, they're not. And the vast majority of people can all agree that reality is not like fundamentalists of any stripe say it is, but is in fact a lot weirder than all of that. And the Matrix is kind of like the capital letter at the beginning of that sentence. So no doubt this is why it has it has caused such ripples. Um, I think, as the only person who didn't have it on their list, Sue should be allowed to give her thoughts on the Matrix first. I was actually going to wait till the end because I'm the only one that didn't have no, it no, on the list. But um, why didn't you have this? The is the interesting is, thing? Is the interesting question? Yeah. Um, it nearly made my list. It was one of the things that it was on the things that I was, you know, as did nearly Groundhog Day and other things. This is what I'm saying. I toyed as did nearly the craft. I to- toyed with a lot of things back and forth. The reason it didn't is because I don't rewatch it that much mm-hmm. because I am not a massive fan of the Matrix. I am not. I kind of watched it and went, yeah, I get that. All right, fine, next. Watched the second one went, yeah, okay, I got that, next. Watched the third one went, oh, yeah, okay, I got that, next. And then went, oh, okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it was like, where is my next? Come on, keep giving me my next. You know, and it's like, because I have these weird philosophies about my own personal beliefs and things that it kind of didn't blow my mind as much as it did other people that I knew at the time. Mm. And I think that I think it was just me because of the things I was into and the you know I grew up with a grandmother who was into tarot cards and things so you know it, to me it was like oh yeah whatever you know what I mean having that kind of weirdness of realities and things didn't really blow my head because I believe that anyway so to me it was just the first time I saw somebody actually try to express that they did a good job of it and it was beautifully done. But I think I've seen other things that do it as well, if you get what I mean. And they wouldn't make my list either. So it's, yeah, it doesn't blow me away. Sorry, people. I'm going to shrink away and let you talk about why it's wonderful now. (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, Justin, it was your number one. So, well, you know, this had to go number one because uh, there are certain films that come along that just change you as a person as you're watching it. Going and you know that you've generally seen something, you know, unique and something that is definitely going to have ripples and affect things. So, and and Matrix is probably the most powerful of that. I mean, Jurassic Park came as second to that. It didn't go. It doesn't go in because as a film, there's various reasons, but that was one instant of like seeing those dinosaurs on the screen. But for me, for me with the Matrix, it was just the idea of it. I found quite overwhelming and. I was genuinely kind of sat there going, um, now I know, I'm sure, you know, these ideas have been knocking around somewhere, but I'd never really considered them. So the reveal of that was so shocking to me that I was like reeling from it. Um, dress that up with, you know, just a kind of a beautiful, I mean, I love the look of it, the whole, the fact that the Matrix is this kind of black and green and everyone has this kind of style. I thought it was fantastic because it's, when you watch it, it's kind of subtle at the beginning because like parts of it is set in a club where people would probably dress like that. And a lot of it is just kind of low key. So you don't really pick up on it. And then you get more and more when you understand it. Of course, you can see that it's this fabricated reality. So the look of it was fantastic. The idea is just amazing, you know, as a and then obviously we've got the visual effects, which were mind blowing. 
you know, I wasn't a big lover of the previous one, uh, the, the uh, sorry, the the uh, uh, the ones that were followed. So, but for me, as a complete film, this says everything about the Matrix in a neat package. The length is right, just you know, the confrontations, just the story arcs. It's just, it's just, it's just an amazing film. It's a lot darker than the kind of things that I I love to rewatch, but I. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, I knew at the time this is going to change things, and indeed it has done. Um, and, you know, it was an overrated to put it for number one for me. Uh, Ian, what beat this into second place for you? Well, right. Well, uh, it was just some of the fact that Terminator 2 is such, was just a bigger thing to me, I think, in terms of what I kept going back to see. I was much more mature when The Matrix came along. And as a mature person, you're less inclined to watch things repetitively. Uh, really, I want to talk about The Matrix and to kind of take a different tack. You talk about, it is important to talk about the, the, the fact of truth and reality. And these are things I've long reflected on and, and about society and coming to the conclusion that in many ways, society is kind of a shared delusion. All, all these thoughts that start popping in your head about, you know, the governments and nations and borders are all fictions. They don't exist. We're just acting like they're there. Uh, and these sort of mind-expanding ideas that start start occurring to you, you know, becoming a teenager, going to university, until then your life has a certain flow. College was just bonkers fun from beginning to end. But university is when really I had time to reflect and have angst about things and reflect on these things. And I was very much into role-playing games at the time. One of the role-playing games I got was a game called Cult, spelt with a K. And that conceit was that the real the world we're living in is a lie. It's a prison. We are, in fact, humans are all godlike entities, but we've been portrayed by one of our own called the Demiurge, who has locked us into this false reality, mortal reality, and trapped us out of the true reality, which is, which is what we're always trying to go back to, which is a city. We're always building cities because the true reality is this great glass city where, where we were ruled over lots lesser creatures, which are demons in our universe now, which watch over us. And so the whole kind of map there for the Matrix had been stewing in my head for a long time. The world is it, not just that, you know, the government is, is a sinister agency that is doing nefarious things. No, your entire concept of reality, your whole history, your whole world is a lie. And that the true reality is something completely different and beyond your current ability to even conceive of because you have been diminished. So all this was kind of there for me. I think The Matrix was the first film that I really kind of... I mean, if I'd seen Dark City in, in the correct order, chronological it, it, it may have been a, a big hit for me. But it was the fact that when I got to The Matrix, it was just chiming in with so many of the things I have. Our society and our world is just built on, on the conventions and, and the traditions that we have. And these are so easily cast aside how quickly we can descend down into chaos. It's just all these kind of little elements of, 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 of that zeitgeist were there. And I do like The Matrix. Well, it's like, the idea was bigger than The Matrix. The Matrix was just the best, best expression of it I'd found. And I think it is unfortunate that the sequels just aren't as good as that, that first film, uh, that was able to introduce so many of these ideas that have been around in my head and was able to deliver them to so many people. The Matrix is a damn fine film and it purely misses out for personal reasons. But I would also like to finish up by saying it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad that so many of us are picking The Matrix as our obvious number one. Yes, it's a good film, but my goodness, I think it's a poor reflection of the 90s, really, that we have Toy Story twice and Crow twice. A Matrix three times over in the bottom of the list, edging into number one for me. Uh, Leo? Uh, yeah, a couple of points that, that have arisen from all of this. One is that um, 
yeah, I wasn't that blown away by the actual concept. I mean, it has to be said that in the realm of science fiction, uh, you know, if you're deeply into science fiction, all the stuff that's in the Matrix is like, yeah, we we know this. Not this is all science right. fiction, but spirituality. Well, yeah, 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 it's it's all very, you know, yeah. From that point of view, it is it, for that subculture. There's nothing new under the sun. I mean, it's all stuff. What is amazing is the the unexpectedness that a popcorn flick in the multiplex should embody all that stuff so completely and not miss the point or cheat or shuffle sideways or just, you know, it it really committed to those uh, ideas, which spiritually, philosophically and uh, science fictionally uh, were not that revelatory to a certain section of the audience, but to many people it was completely... You know, it's stripped away everything, which is like how a film, and not only that, but a film that, you know, is a big multiplex fair blockbuster, manages to take a segment of society and just completely upend people's minds. That's not at all. And, you know, we shouldn't underestimate that. Uh, It's part, I mean, it's sort of a cunning do. Uh, Kruger-Dunning sort of moment, uh, which if you're not familiar with it, this is the phenomenon that stupid people are far more likely to be confident than intelligent people because intelligent people are aware how intelligent someone can be and tend to slightly overestimate the general intelligence of humanity as a whole and so because they're doing it off their own perspective and therefore are far less likely to jump to conclusions or to confidently assume control of situations because they're aware of all the imponderables they come across as somewhat underconfident whereas stupid people will just promise to do things that an intelligent person would say but you can't promise to do that you might not be able to do it they'll just come in and they'll see and people find stupid people for that reason far more reassuring than intelligent people intelligent people have doubts and i think one of the things that all of us intelligent people have underestimated is the impact that the Matrix had on stupid people. It managed to explain to them something that we had all known all along in such a way that they finally got it. And in fact, the Matrix may in therefore be responsible for many of the best works of film in the following years because Hollywood, which always caters to the lowest common denominator, suddenly had a new lowest common denominator to play through that was higher than the one before. The big tragedy of it was that, you know, thereafter trying to tangle with some concepts that are truly gnarly and complex and really difficult even for the people who were trying to embrace them to truly embrace it all kind of fell apart but it's admirable that the effort should be made that the risk should be taken however far the uh, Wachowskis fell in not being able to deliver what they wanted out of the, you know, the following films because of the various pressures, you know, mental, social, professional that came upon them. This is the only time that I could ever see this working. They chose, they did big making ofs. There are many, many um, documentaries in the full Matrix box set, Spectacular, they talk at length about all of their ideas and their concepts and what they're trying to do at every moment of the Matrix in the documentary, straight to camera, in the moment. 
And so when it came to the commentaries, they went, well, we kind of done. We, you know, we showed you round. We, we talked about all of our concepts exhaustively. What is the point of us actually talking over the movie in addition to all of this? No, 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 no. We have conscripted the help of uh, two philosophers from, you know, Harvard or New York State or one of the big red brick universities in America who go through the entire trilogy and show you the trilogy in a way that you kind of understand, even in the failures, this deeper level. But then, and this, I think, shows the Wachowskis as the remarkable individuals that they really, truly are. They took three critics from uh, around America who had not really given glowing reviews to any of them and let them have their say fully, completely unedited and roundly and said, you, you just talk about it. Just do the commentary. Tell us what you feel didn't work which is the only DVD I've ever known that has three people wailing on something in a very serious intellectual fashion. And if you listen to both of those commentary tracks, you get a completely different insight into the films in two completely different ways. And what I found was I thought that when I heard the critics wailing upon the Matrix, that I would be above them, I would be beyond what they said. But what was really courageous about this movie is that they make some really good points about how the second two movies totally failed as movies. Whereas the philosophers lifted up into this realm of, but on the other hand, it did manage to hit all these incredibly complex concepts that by the end only people with PhDs really appreciate. And to bring that into the forum of popular consciousness has done so much for western culture as a whole and cannot be underestimated so that i think is the the end i mean it's, it's you know it's moved the scope of the conversation that is to be had away from just the matrix and into a show about the wachowskis as a cultural phenomenon what they're trying to do in culture but i think that's no bad thing and i think that we've uh, we've done a, a, an epic job overall and I do think that there's very little argument that The Matrix was possibly the most important movie that has happened, if not just in the 90s, possibly in our lifetimes, uh, because there's not very many movies that signal a sea change in the entirety of a cultural society sort of mental outlook. The thing is, though, to me, you say that, but to me what it did was produce a lot of people who kind of went, oh, now I'm going to go be a hippie. It created this thing in the 90s and the 2000s where people then walked around going, oh, I'm now a Buddhist or I'm a Kabbalah or I'm this or I'm that or I'm a spiritualist, darling. And you ended up with like this ab fab load of people walking around going, I'm a spiritualist, darling. And for people like me who actually properly grew up with it and understand mm. it very deeply and have much respect for it because it was part of my life, it was almost insulting. Well, the thing about stupid people is that it doesn't matter if they understand one new thing as a result of a trip to the cinema, they're still stupid. You can't... If the film had cured stupidity, uh, well, we might not even I mean, be doing this podcast. I don't think anybody <laughs> buying crystals or anything, but when they're walking around with their arm covered in different crystals going, yeah, this is for my chakra, and this is for... My, and you're like, what is your chakra? What's this about? And they have no bloody clue. You're sitting there thinking, I could just slap the taste out of your goddamn... You know what well, I mean? It's yeah. like... Crimes, crime against, crimes against... New Age crimes against spirituality... 
I mean, for me, it was also the Matrix. Did, did, did it also kind of feed the nine eleventh truther thing? The total distrust of government? Did that push? Ah, uh, well, yes. The, the thing guys? about the, the, yeah, the, the, as again, you know, I stand to be proven wrong about this, but so far, no film has ever cured stupidity. And yes, the revelation and general acceptance of the fact that you can't trust reality, you have to construct reality for yourself and only believe things that you can construct some kind of test, has gone over really well with conspiracy theorists uh, who say, yes, yes, anything that uh, the news says is true is not true, but what I say is true instead, that's true. It's like, no, according to this, to what this film says, neither of you are true, and I have to make my own mind up. No, do not think for yourself. You know, it, that dialogue is ongoing. But, yeah, I mean, you know, all it's done is move it into a slightly different space on the long march towards global enlightenment. Yeah, I'm just saying, though, for me, it was so frustrating because even to this day, I get looked at like an oddball when I say something like, oh, can I put a crystal underneath my floorboards or can I put some ba- uh, basil underneath my floorboards or something? And the builder looks at me like, what? What are you talking about? And they think I'm one of these people who's like, yes, I've watched too much of The Matrix. And I'm, you know, and it's like, no, I seriously, seriously, no. You know what I mean? Uh, Like I said, you can't. No (laughs) film can entirely wipe out. Do you know how long I've spent studying this stuff? Yes, no (laughs) film can entirely wipe out ignorance. But this did a good job at clearing up some of the deeper points. Let's take a step back and just admire our list for a moment. And sort of, sort of my journey through the 90s is, of course, you have Terminator 2, which was huge for everybody. It wasn't just me at the time. And then when we started our college course, you could still feel the after echoes of that James Cameron sort of shockwave. Pulp Fiction exploded whilst we were in college together. After that, there was kind of, you know, there was kind of the British independence films like Trainspotting and, and, and there was, other, there was other things like, it's been more alternative kind of films like Seven very kind of angsty films and then it sort of starts to set in this deep suspicion about reality starts cutting in with you know we, we have the list here we have mouth of mouse fight club truman show top it all off of the matrix you know it, it kind of becomes cynical in a way and that's kind of my film emotional journey through the 90s and i think we kind of encapsulated it brilliantly here with the completeness of our list there's even like regression to childhood here as a way of escape going on i think too <laughs> It didn't have that giddy kind of... I mean, it's, it's an age thing as well. In the 80s, you know, I was still relatively young, but it was a much more innocent-like... It felt like that anyway. Those, those kind of films were just kind of fun and light. Um, and this is definitely showing, a, for me anyway, it's that kind of maturity. There's a lot more kind of darker, grittier subject matter here. Although I am always looking for the kind of creative like, theatricality of it. Yeah, the, the 90s were definitely the age of what has come to be known as the grimdark, which is just like a sort of catch-all for things that think that realism means just making things miserable and depressing, and that therefore people would believe that they're realistic. And thankfully, uh, the complete and utter abject failure of Sin City 2 to strike a chord with just about anyone shows that the grimdark era is coming to an end. People don't just necessarily accept 
that depressing equals realistic anymore, and thank heavens for that. I think the problem for me was I was much younger than you guys in the... Sorry, I was, but yeah. I, I was much younger than you guys in the 90s, so for me this was kind of the tail end of my childhood Yeah, to a degree. Um, so there's still some of that childhood angst for me, but there's also... You know, me trying to develop who I was as a person and trying to figure out who I who I am, if you get what I mean, as a as a human being and who I was as a person. I think some of that depressiveness came out of what was going off at that time with the music and everything. Everybody kind of wanted to be that kind of grungy rock star kind of thing going off at that time and it was really odd it was a really odd period of time to be in for somebody like myself who was genuinely that way and for years had been an outcast and then all of a sudden everybody's this way everybody's suddenly into surrealism the, you know, and everybody's suddenly that yeah. something will come round that will be yeah. hideous at one point and now it's the height of you know yeah. But everybody's suddenly, you know, and everybody's now like, you know, oh, you're into that kind of music and you're into these kind of films and you're into like philosophy and religion and oh, spirituality and oh, aren't you, you know, you know, and everybody's suddenly into it. And I was like, I felt really like moving away. I kind of was trying to move away from that. But at the same time, I was still part of that, if you get what I mean. So some of my choice was based on me trying to develop who I was, but with without being kind of stuck with the same people. Because, I mean, most of the people I knew still wouldn't go and see Blade with me. They were all running around being a hippie and going, oh, Matrix, Matrix, but nobody had come and see Blade with me. That was me. Well, Blade came out the year before the No, but you know what I'm saying? That was me, if you get what I'm saying. Blade was, you know, why are you going to see a Marvel movie as a girl? You know, it was a bit of a weird thing. So, you know, there was still me being me in there. Recently, uh, I have come to be aware that, I mean, what was really weird about uh, the 90s is that it was 10 years of the the culture of the 80s, which was really complete. There's 80s music, there's 80s film, there's 80s television, there's 80s fashion, there's 80s... There's 80s everything, yeah. and it's all really 80s, yeah? And it's it's of a thing. And in the 90s, to, it all split apart, uh, to the low, and everything crashed. By the end of the 90s, 97, 98... Everything was winding down, like fashion had gone mental and music had gone mental and film had gone... The culture had just... It was just like a massive 70s revival as well, so it wasn't really... When you were in it, you weren't really sure what the 90s was. Yeah. Um, And what's happened from, you know, 1999 onwards, as we shall come to explore, is that certain things, film, television, they pick themselves up and developed into the thing that they are even today. And these things are, its you know, we're back in the sweet shop to a certain degree. Things just grew stronger in both of these arenas. But then uh, you take something like an arena of music. And I'm not saying, I'm not being an old man. All modern music is rubbish. But what I'm trying to say is I don't feel that music's ever really recovered from what happened at the end of I the think 90s? certain parts of certain types of music never recovered. Rock never... Heavy metal and rock never really recovered. Hip-hop kind of st- stuck with this whole, you know, it's all about the bitches and hoes, bitches and Well, hoes. exactly, no, but that's the thing. It's, it's really weird how is, stuck it became. Yeah, it's all very stuck. And, uh, you know, recently I've been listening to stuff 
which sounds very much like a Indie you know, progress though. Yeah. The independent stuff did yeah. kind of go a bit. Recently further. I've been listening to stuff that's very much like soundtracks from nineteen eighties horror movies yeah. that people still write. That the music industry doesn't deem to be something that they want to put out and it's just really weird because music has kind of stalled. Yeah. And fashion has kind of who knows? You know, there isn't as Fashion far as keeps aware. looping. Yeah, it, it keeps, keeps going back to the eighties, which is really odd. Yes, it keeps <laughs> going back to the eighties. People love the eighties, but yeah, I, I, it just seems that we're about to enter an era that where, for you know, a film-based podcast or film and television-based podcast called Revenge of the Eighties Kids, we're about to have a really fantastic time. But let's not forget that how important it was that the uh, in the nineties everything kind of fell over. Mm. Um, and, and, and of course, we have a new contender uh, coming into the 2000s in that video games, I think, really came of age in yeah. the noughties. So they're going to have to be considered as well. Uh, but that seems to be a, a good point because we now sort of tipped over the line. Happy, happy new millennium, everyone. We have partied like it was 1999, and now it's not. It's the, it's the new age. It's the new dawn. How does everyone feel about that? <laughs> um, well, optimistic, because I can remember the films from the noughties, so, you know, there's some good stuff to come. I, I feel that this is going to be a much more fascinating decade, because I think that we have the mistaken impression that as we get closer to the, the modern day, we are more familiar with what it is. I think we're going to be spending the next 10 years unearthing things that have just yeah. quickly been forgotten that should be brought back. So, yeah, I think that's well, what's going to happen. Well, it's the abundance of stuff. You know, now, you know, to, to come, come, we've already seen the rise of the multiplexes. By this stage, films are being churned out and, you know, ever more so in the noughties. So now, you know, I would struggle to be able to remember everything. That's yes. happened in, the last, in that period. So absolutely, there'll be things that you go, oh my god, I, I remember, I just need to see that again. So, and in fact, a lot of stuff I might have missed completely. So, I, I think that we won't have the. I think we very re- unlikely we'll have this kind of overlap with films when we come to this yes. kind of thing. Forties. <clears throat> I think there'll be far more on offer that you know that we'll we'll be looking at. I mean, Examining. I mean, in the 80s, we had 5% of our top films overlap. We have 20% of our films overlapping here, uh, which is quite something. Well, here we are. It, it, the 90s are over. Definitely a very angsty time. I think things start coming back into focus a bit more. I think even as even as a person, I think I was coming together a lot more in the noughties than I was in the 90s. I remember the 90s being definitely a period of a lot, a lot of angst in myself about... You know, because all the, all the normal school, college, university, that was all over, and suddenly I was doing this thing called life, and there was no wind in my cells anymore. And, and so, yeah, th- that kind of sums up what the 90s felt like to me. A little, little bereft, a bit too much time to lull and think. And, but in the 2000s and the noughties, it feels like there's a bit of momentum behind us again as we progress through our lives. You have to tell me, what's more, Doctor Who comes back, so what's there to complain about? <laughs> indeed, indeed. And if if anyone wishes to uh, voice their surprise that nowhere in your top five was uh, Paul McGann's Doctor Who TV outing, uh, Ian, uh, where might they go to express this astonishment? 
Well, they can go to our Facebook page. Well, I'll happily explain to them that whilst Paul McGann's performance was excellent, the TV movie itself was somewhat shite. However, that place would be Facebook forward slash Revenge of the 80s Kids, and that's 80s as a number, so 80s. Uh, please go there and subscribe to our uh, page. It is our community hub where we put links to our podcast there, as well as links we find interesting. But podcasts are what it's all about, so please point your browser towards 80s Kids, and that's 80s as in letters, so E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S kids.podomatter.com please go there and subscribe to our podcast using the podcast aggregator of your choice or download your PC for dark 90s reasons of your own uh, but this is only where our most recent podcast can be found for the legacy of our podcast you must disconnect yourself from the matrix and go to uh, leostableford.com where the full suite of all of our available well what is it nearly 75 shows uh, can be uh, sampled and, and trod through and you can see the development uh, from the uh, cheeky pastel shaded neon hues of the 80s 80s kids right through to the grim dark spiky and angsty uh, 80s kids of the 90s uh, you can see that uh, transformation in full, and if you wish to, an even more visual uh, guide to these changes, Justin, where might they go to find that? Uh, yeah, suddenly you won't see lots of angst-ridden kind of dark blue stuff on my website, uh, but I've got you can check out images that I've done uh, of, a, of a lighter tone, I feel generally um, at my Deviant Art page. So that's justinwyatt.deviantart.com. Well, there we have it. Ninety is dead, buried, gone. Let us never do another episode ever covering anything about the nineties ever again. But how about we do do something about the eighties? Let's do a throwback to the eighties episode. I want to revisit some things. Yes, indeed. Well, these, of course, are plans that we have uh, lined up. In fact, uh, schemes that we have to get us through the two thousands and on to the the conclusion of our great work. But for now, I think it's time for us all. Uh, to go and have a little bit of a rest and a reflect. So, uh, goodbye. Goodbye, my friends. Goodbye. Bye.